LightSource is available free of charge through studiolighting.net. You can support LightSource by visiting supportlightsource.com. There you can donate through the tip jar, purchase a lighting DVD, get a discount on website hosting through squarespace.com, or you can visit our affiliate links for Adorama or amazon.com where you can shop for camera gear or photography books, and a portion of those proceeds will help support LightSource. This is Mark Robert Halper, and you are listening to my good friends on LightSource. And welcome to episode 87 of Light Source, the official podcast of StudioLighting.net, a website introducing photographers to portrait and studio lighting equipment and techniques. I'm Bill Crawford, publisher. And I'm Ed Hidden, exclusive photographer with iStockphoto.com. Now, today's episode, we have another return guest. I think this guy gets the award for the most return visits to LightSource, uh, Mark Robert Halper. We've talked with him a number of times about his commercial work. Today, we talk a little bit about something different with him. He's going to talk about how he's uh, kind of revamped his business over the last couple of years and kind of made the uh, the move into fine art portraiture. Yeah, it's a big change for Mark, but I definitely recommend if you're interested in some more technical stuff to go back and check out those interviews that we've had with Mark in the past. So it's all really good information, and this show is really interesting as well. It's really cool to see that he's changed his subject matter and his clients and that sort of work, but it still has the Mark Robert Halper signature on it. And it, it's definitely his work, but it's kind of interesting seeing that there are people that we don't recognize anymore. But but you know, the subjects that get this work are probably going to be, you know, possibly even valuing it a little bit more than the traditional purchasers of his work. So it's def- definitely an interesting conversation about how the different aspects of business of photography. So it's good stuff. So one thing he does talk about that I thought was interesting, he, he talks a little bit about personal work. And that kind of leads us into some, one of the news stories that we have. Another former Light Source guest was Jeremy Cowart. He has a website that he started. It's uh, www.help-portrait.com. Reading from the website, it's a movement of photographers who are using their time, equipment, and expertise to give back to those who are less fortunate this holiday season. So it's definitely worth going to the website and checking out and watching uh, Jeremy's uh, video where he gives the, the spiel about it because it, it's an interesting little project. It's definitely something worth worth checking out and putting some time into. It's a great cause. Uh, also, about while we're kind of talking about some of our Light Source alum, there's uh, other big news with you know one of our other guests, this time in the area of a book and a photography website and an iPhone app. <laughs> Good old Chase Jarvis. That guy's name is all over the place. Yeah, he's definitely good at keep, keeping you on your toes, man. No doubt about it. But best camera is is huge. I mean, it's, it's a really great idea. You have uh, been using the app longer than me. Why don't you tell us a little bit about it? Well, it's a camera application for the iPhone, and it's it you know it has baked in special effects and things like that you can do. You can take a photo with it, or you can use a photo from your photo pool, and they have these little jewels that are across the bottom that you can tap, and it applies that effect to the photo. Some of the ones are like a desaturation, a black and white, uh, a dark and a light, and yeah, a vignette, a sepia tone, a, a warming tone, a cooling tone, a high contrast tone, square crop, and a white border around the outside of it. And you can apply those filters. You can you can stack them one on top of another very quickly. You can go into another mode and rearrange the order that the filters are applied so that you can get a little bit of a different effect to the image. You can also, like I said, you can stack them on top of each other as well to to increase the effect. So there's not any sliders or anything like that to you know to adjust the opacity of things. So I mean, they're all a little bit on the light side of things. So if you want to 
you know, increase the effect. You can apply it double. And the big thing about the app is after you're done, you can hit a button to share it with the website, thebestcamera.com. Uh, you can go right up to your Facebook page, to your Twitter feed. You can email it, or you can save it to your camera roll on your iPhone. Uh, now, the cool thing with the emailing, and I hadn't thought about this, if you're a member of different social networks, such as like Flickr, or if you're on a social network on Ning or, or somewhere else like that, that has a web address that you can upload your photo to via email, you can send the email from the Best Camera app, so you can get it up to Flickr as well, even though Flickr isn't actually one of the choices on here. Right, right. That's cool. Well, the third component of this whole thing, too, is that Chase came out with his with a book, which is all iPhone images, and it's titled, The Best Camera is the One That's With You. And I thought that was really cool, because he's also, at the same time as launching all of these, these tools for photographers, he's also sort of validating the medium, which is, which is really interesting to me. It's kind of funny seeing all this stuff that's so heavy with all of this um, iPhone app. It's a great platform, but to have a camera with you everywhere you go is, is a really big deal. I, I haven't even really realized that until I started to commit to taking an image a day and sort of train yourself to remember that you have a camera with you all the time. It's, it's uh, Once you get in that mindset, it's it's just completely empowering. I love it. Well, I know that we all love our iPhones and all that kind of stuff, but there was a, a posting I had seen, I believe it was today on DP Review, about Samsung's releasing a 12 megapixel camera slash phone <laughs> that's wild i think it records also like 720p hd video af tracking smart auto face recognition all kinds of really wild stuff out of it and uh, I, I think samsung's trying to make a play for the mobile photography market i think that's a great move i gotta say it's the first mobile phone i've seen that has a lens that zooms out of it like a point-and-shoot camera oh, right right so i mean imagine you had a long point-and-shoot camera that you flip over and you start making a phone call out of it. that's <laughs> that kind of what you expect that's great <laughs> so that's kind of cool well one other quick thing um i know that we all talk about lightroom and photoshop and all that kind of stuff i do use acdc pro a good bit and i just came out with acdc pro 3 now i didn't try the beta but it looks like the beta is now closed and that the it's available for free download so if, if you like the acdc brand it's time to check out it, the new version. Oh, good stuff! Right. Since the the full version's out, I'm gonna I'm gonna play with it. It looks like the add to cart version is 170, so I'm gonna need to see what the upgrade price is on it before I before I make the leap on that one. Very cool. Before we get to the interview, I did want to mention something real quick about our Twitter feeds. We've added a new Twitter feed. I don't know how many of the listeners were were with us when we were experimenting with our normal Twitter feed, which is studio lighting. But I took a chance one Friday and just started posting some deals that I'd found related to lighting and lighting equipment around the internet. And the first day I did it, it went pretty well. Everybody seemed to like it. Uh, So I did it again the next Friday and people were like, okay, that's enough. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, so what we decided to do, the way we decided to handle it, because some people really liked it and asked me to continue. And other people said that, you know, it was kind of too much Twitter noise. So what we decided to do was break that feature out into its own Twitter feed, and we registered lighting deals. So if you go to twitter.com slash lighting deals, you can see the feed. And we're basically going to, whenever we come across deals related to photography, lighting equipment, we're going to post it there with links to you know wherever we find the stuff. And actually, just sort of to kick us off, one of the things that we're going to be doing probably in the middle of this upcoming month of October is we're giving away three free memberships to monoslideshow.com. Now, Ed, you and I have talked about in the past different ways of embedding slideshows on your website. 
I was contacted by Mono Slideshow and checked it out. And these guys have a really top quality product and it's it's a pay service, but what you get is is really remarkable. You can embed HD video and everything else in a really nice flash wrapper. And it, it just seems like a really nice product. So they've agreed to give away three free membership accounts for their service. And we're going to do that by just choosing three random followers to the Lighting Deals Twitter feed sometime in the middle of October. So if you haven't already and you're on Twitter, go and sign up to follow Lighting Deals. Get some great information on deals related to lighting equipment and have a chance to win a Mono Slideshow account. Have you uh, tried out the Mono Slideshow at all yourself? Uh, yeah, I've been playing with the demo a lot and uh, it's pretty impressive. I haven't embedded it on my own site, but they have a way that you can you know, see what the controls are like and stuff. And it's really powerful. It's nice. I'm a big fan of the Ken Burns effect, and that seems to be one of the things that is... For people that don't know, the Ken Burns effect is kind of like that that slow pan or push in on still photos so that way it gives your your static slideshow a little bit feeling of you know that it's it's kind of like a documentary effect that's that's right. really cool that's one of the things that really grabs me about it and uh, I'm going to have to play with it a little bit and see how easy it is to integrate into um, my Squarespace site which I've actually been using a little bit more oh right very cool how's that going it's not bad if you guys want to check it out it's edhidden.squarespace.com and uh, they've been a longtime sponsor of the show for us and yeah I keep hearing a lot of different podcasts speaking about how easy it is to use the Squarespace engine and I, I really feel like I've neglected using the space that I've had just because I've had something WordPress available right but I've actually started using it a lot and I really like the the way it publishes it is really easy to use and uh, I do like some of the new tools that they have in it. So it was, it's been really fun because I, I don't, I'm not worrying about keeping my WordPress engine up to date or making sure that there's any kind of security error or anything like that. Squarespace just takes care of that. And I don't just worry about making sure that, you know, my biggest problem now is just making sure that I have my content up to date. <laughs> right. <laughs> I've been following your progress on the customization of the blog and everything. It looks really nice. Squarespace is a great tool as well. So I don't know if the two can play together, but if so, it's uh, quite a powerful combination. Well, uh, if we get something like that, I'll have to put it out on the Twitter feed and maybe you can put it on the studio lighting feed and we'll see what we can play with and see what comes up. Well, we should probably get into our interview with uh, Mark Robert Halper and talking about fine art portraiture. And on this edition of The Light Source, we have with us back again this evening a, uh, a repeat guest, uh, a multi-repeat guest. I think this is what, third, fourth uh, time you visit us now, Mark? Fifth time. Excellent. Uh, it's always fun talking to you, and it's uh, uh, it's good to have you back on. It's, uh, it's so. What sort of things have uh, been going on with with your photography? Well, it's been an interesting year. Um, the commercial world has been hit, and we can talk about that a little bit if you want to. Uh, fees have been dropping. Number of jobs out there have been dropping for a number of reasons. And I have an addition to my commercial business, which isn't doing too badly. Um, also started a business that hits the consumer market doing just really beautiful portraits for people for them to put up on their walls. So now if, if people go to your website to follow along with us during the interview, it's uh, studiomark.com, uh, M-A-R-K. And um, you have a couple different brands up here on the, uh, on the website. To, and so you, basically you're talking about the fine art portraiture. I'm talking about the fine art portraiture. The, the Website, the way you're looking at it right now, I actually went up over the weekend. It had been floating around in my head, and I just needed to, when people entered the site, better direct them. So if they're interested in taking a photo workshop, 
that wasn't buried where they might not notice it. If they're interested in doing something that was fine art portraiture that wasn't buried, it would be easy for people to distinguish whether or not they were an ad agency who wanted to see a subset of my work that really has to do with portraits or client direct people who might also be interested in the still life and the architecture and the broader range of imagery that I shoot. I think it's really a good way that you've done it. Um, I've followed some some interesting portfolio reviews that I've been uh, reading a bit lately, and it seems like a lot of the uh, a lot of people that have been working on their websites seem that they try and compress everything into to one gateway, and they kind of segment their uh, the audience that they're trying to talk to. And I think you've done a really good job of you know still showing that you know you're this brand, but you have all of these different things that are under that umbrella. That's what I was after. It took a lot of work. Um, it also helped that there are different logos and different brands for the three things that I'm promoting there, which is the workshops, my commercial photography, and the fine art portrait studio. And they each basically have their own websites with their own look, even though it ties together. Well, and that's really important to have that different look between each of them because you're really, I mean, you're you're talking to a different group of people and then you know you're you're trying to reach them in a different way Uh, that's absolutely true what i found um in terms of the commercial work they're very rational buyers uh they are thinking about what they need very often they have specific ideas there's a business reason for wanting to have those images they're going to serve a purpose they're going to make the money when i'm dealing with people who are looking for something for their wall They don't need it. It might be an investment and that it's something that they will continue to value more over the years, which I really think is the case, but it is not an investment that tends to yield back dollars. So the decision is emotional. The same way buying a couch is emotional. The question is, what do you like? Um, Or really the best equivalent walking into an an art gallery and picking something for your wall. Yeah, it might go up in value, but chances are pretty good that it won't, even though we tend to think that way. Um, And even if it did, uh, selling it is something different than what its theoretical value is. Right. So you're appealing to something very, very different, and uh, the consumer is certainly a far less sophisticated buyer. They want something pretty, and they don't know much more. I, I want to respond to that, and I want to let them know that there are options that don't involve shooting white shirts on the beach, which <laughs> I think has been done too many times, um, that are outside of, uh, I'm going to send some people here, but life will go on, um, the PPA aesthetic. Uh, the concept of PPA is not really a bad concept, but uh, to my mind, you know, it's great to have things like print competitions, but the problem is, it's the winners of past competitions, which is new competitions, and they come up with solutions which work well, but everyone starts learning them. So what you end up with is a very narrow aesthetic, kind of the way family portraits look. Uh, it was brought into a little bit by wedding photographers, because wedding photographers have come in and brought more of a photojournalistic style, but that also is a lot closer to what people can do at home with their own cameras. And the closer you get to what someone can do for themselves, um, the harder it is to justify 
the um, appropriate, more premium pricing okay. that an artist should get for their vision and their work. How do you go about sort of marketing? I noticed, for example, that when we visit the new fine art section of your website that you've chose to you know, remove a lot of color and, and there's some interesting uses of desaturation and so forth. Is that all right? well, pretty much all black and white right. the design? Unlike Mark Rodhel photography that is, you know, the logo designed and pieces have been designed over time. The designer I'm working with on this, who was actually a former intern of mine, um, has gone on to this where she has real talent. Uh, we've been able to really hone the brand of it, which is especially important. So the look is consistent. The feel is consistent. Everything, if we've done our jobs right, is very high end. Right. Um, it should feel that way. If, if you look at the site and think that I might be cheap, then I haven't done my job. Uh, and if you look at the site and don't see a unifying vision, don't kind of have some idea of what your images are going to look like when you come to me, I'm also not doing my job. I try very hard, um, and I'm discovering it's much harder than in commercial photography, to shoot things differently. And that's an interesting thing, just to you know, go on a slightly different tangent. In commercial photography, the assignments are always different. It is more in the nature of that to more frequently test out different ideas, have to lighten different ways, work with different places. When you're doing work for the consumer market, and it's, you can almost call it the PPA trap, you find something that works and that people like, and your first tendency is, well, you know, three people have bought images that look like this. Maybe I should go do three more that look like this because they'll buy them too. And chances are you're not wrong. Right. And in the short term, that can be really profitable. In the long term, though, I think it, it, it starts to stagnate. So you have to keep reaching to try other things that are still within the same vision so that you, you can keep adding to your palette, and when you really get tired of something, take it out and have an evolving vision instead of solutions you can sell, which is fine for some portrait studios because they are just about making money and really have no problem with making money. I admire and respect it, but I think as photographers, it's important that in addition to that, we see ourselves as artists and we continue to evolve. That is interesting because that's that seems to be a challenge for many portrait photographers after doing it for a certain amount of time. You know, they have to really challenge themselves to not get into that that, that sort of rut that you describe. I've seen it a number of times. I I do an online workshop right now. We meet uh, we meet two Mondays a month, first and third Monday uh, in the evening. Um, we all call into the same number, so, and then we set up. It's also teleconference, so with our webcams, we can see each other. And there's someone in that group who, phenomenal guy, uh, but he's, you know, he's been shooting a long time, successful business, but got into the group specifically for that reason, to try and find some other ways to approach things. And what we ended up doing was send, you know, he went out and, 
you know, we're shooting people on location who we might not otherwise shoot and shooting for character. And you kind of have to let go of the concept that everything you're going to shoot, you're going to sell, and everything is going to specifically lead somewhere. Sometimes you have to, just have to do something because it's what you want to do because it's what's in your heart, which gets me to my recent personal project. What are you doing? Uh, recent personal project. We shot for almost a week in August. We're shooting again at the beginning of October. Um, just above California, or sorry, just above Los Angeles is the Santa Barbara wine country area. It's the area that they shot sideways in. So anyone who's seen sideways knows this area and knows some of those places. It kind of made it famous. But it's the, it's the southernmost coastal wine country that I know of in California. Temecula is inland, so it's a little bit different, and it doesn't have the same kind of culture. But I really love wine. Well, for myself and my wife, it's been a kind of new, um, new hobby. We like the people, and I had my studio manager, and it took her a week or two's worth of work, uh, call a lot of these wineries and set up. Um, portrait sessions for me over that five days. So on one day, I do as many as five of these locations, and sometimes I'd be shooting two, and on one or two occasions, three different people or sets of people. I'm creating portraits that I think are beautiful. The long-range intent is to use these in a book, but I'm not looking at whether they'd want to buy them. I'm not looking at whether they would advance my commercial work and that it would apply to that. Uh, they're black and white. They've got a kind of dreamy look. They wouldn't work for that much editorial. Um, I'm shooting what I really want to shoot. I'm just shooting this from my heart. Uh, and, and doing that is kind of amazing. Um, you know, people, once we kind of get past the gatekeepers, have been so friendly and so responsive and giving, and it's been really phenomenal. If anyone wants to see the work, there is a back page for it. I don't know how long it'll be around, but when this page isn't around, there'll probably be a link somewhere on the main site. It's studiomark.com slash wine2009. Yeah, everything lowercase. So studiomark.com slash wine2009. You can take a look at the work. At this point, uh, and this will no doubt change, There are, um, it represents that first week. And there's an image of everybody we shot. In some cases, in many cases, I did more than one setup. Um, I, didn't, I didn't shoot as tight or as controlled as I normally do. Uh, I tried to challenge myself in that, I have a tendency to come in tight in a lot of my imagery, so I tried to at least back off a little bit to include more location, to let it be a little bit rougher, to do the things where I thought my photography needed to grow, because we've all got that. It, it even brings it, I think, more back to my own vision, but shooting it was phenomenal. Um, I mean, I can't think of a vacation I'd rather have. <laughs> right. <laughs> I'm a little twisted that way. Uh, we brought an assistant so my wife could sit there and wine taste and uh, talk to these, you know, really remarkable people. And you know, we, it was fun. So we weren't working too hard. 
I brought very little equipment that we used. We had, uh, there's a Home Depot light that I've got that's a fluorescent light. It's just a four-foot fluorescent that we put um, one of those pieces of metal, whatever they're called, so you can put them into a C-stand that I used. There's a little battery-charged LED work light that weighs nothing and uses very little power, and that's pretty much all we use for lighting. Wow. Cool. Just very simple, mostly the natural light, I, and it would it it kind of it, it gets you back to why you got into this to shoot something that you really love in a way that you really enjoy. Great. And I think that we uh, I think personal projects are important. These images are really interesting, and um, it, it seems like you've you've made great use of backlighting and even some lens flare. I just really think that's a neat way to do that. Thank you. I'm not going to talk technically about how I do these. I'll just warn you. I get asked a lot. No, that's not a problem. <laughs> they they look great. technically about a lot of stuff, but not these ones. Because you're not using color, one of the things that I you know, have always admired about your work is, is how you work color into your images. Is there much of a, a different mentality for you when you're considering an image of, that you're creating with no, with no color in it? Um, there's a purity to it that I really like. Uh, I've, I, I, this is slightly off topic from your question, but I, I think it, it relates. If you go to a source book or a fine art book or just take a look at the world and the way it looked 20 years ago, I guess it'd be 1989. And you look at those images, and the images back to 30 years ago, 1979, they're pretty much the images of the 80s. There's something about them that feels phenomenally dated. Yet if you look at the same images and you take the color out of them, what they are in many cases, especially if they're adjusted to be really good black and white images or shot that way, what they are tends to hold up and remain, and you're not distracted by the things that make it of a specific time. Mm. Because color, in so many ways, is a very dated thing. Color really dates imagery. Colors are trendy. There, there are trends in colors and styles and fashions. And you take that out, you have something a little bit more timeless and a little bit more pure. Interesting. Hmm. So I guess I've really never thought of it that way. I mean, it, it's yeah. It, I've always thought of removing color really helps you focus on the you know the form and the composition and the you know some of the actual elements of it. But I never really thought about it in terms of stopping like the time you know the basically the passage of time in it. I've actually taken some images that are older images um, that I'd really like, maybe celebrity images because those are the hardest to let go because. You don't really replace them in the same way. Right. Sure. And gone back to the files and reimagined them as black and white images and found that they have held up better than I thought that they would and sometimes really improved. Hmm. Isn't I'm actually... I was, I'm sorry, go uh, ahead. I was going to say, I'm looking on the Halper Fine Art uh, section of the website, and I see this, some of the celebrities galleries, and you have a number of the black and white ones in there, and uh, um, some of them I recognize from some of the you know previous commercial work that we've talked about, and I completely agree with what you're saying. It's really, uh, 
it, it's really amazing how just you know going to black and white really preserves it. We went, and, and for that gallery, because it's a black and white business, I converted everything to black and white, and if it didn't work in black and white, it didn't make it in. Right. Um, but it really, I like what it does. I'm in not only thinking about commercial photography, I'm kind of getting back to my roots a little bit. I'm remembering why I love photography, which isn't to say I forgot, but the balance changes a little bit. You start to... Well, there's, there's kind of a fundamental question that's asked and answered differently, I think, between commercial photographers and people who do who work with consumers and do portraits of them. And you'll notice I'm, I'm avoiding the word family portraits as much as I can because I don't like all the connotations that come with it. Right. I'll even call them portraits of families. Right. But, it, but for a commercial photographer... Um, at some level, you would rather shoot a great ad that a million people see or a hundred million people see because it would, because it's running on a billboard somewhere. And that is your photo up there being used to sell something else. And chances are there's an art director with their hands in there. Um, from a, and for most commercial work, it's probably a single image in a magazine that 100,000 people will see in the magazine and will forget and they'll see it the next time. Uh, you know, they'll, they'll look at something else because there are so many images. When you do something um, in the family market or the consumer market, you're making an image that in a year, maybe 50 people will see it. But it is going to be on someone's wall, and it's going to be really valued and appreciated. And hopefully, it's not just a picture of these people. It's a really good piece of photography, because that's what I think is missing and what should be there, um, that they will really appreciate. Right. So it's, it's, it's a quality-quantity question. The quality of the, of the appreciation versus the number of people who see it. And that uh, it's, it's an interesting tug of war, and I th tend to think you rationalize it based on which side your 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 bread is buttered on at the moment. No, that's a great way to think about it. And some some of the consumer images, you know, we will become heirlooms and will be cherished for generations. So that's really interesting to that's, think of. That's what I'm hoping, and that's that's what I'll tell people is they are investing in a piece of art. And yeah, it might cost what their couch costs, because we're not inexpensive. I have no interest in being inexpensive. Um, but when their couch is gone and when the couch after that is gone, this is something they will still have. And you know, these are the kind of things when there's a fire, people grab and run out with. This is what they want. This is what they really, really value. Right. And there's something to be said for that. And Art directors don't hug you as much and rarely cry when they see their images. And when they do, it's a bad thing, not a good thing. <laughs> well, speaking about that real quickly, um, what do you, um, now obviously you have, you know, you're, you're dealing with a, an end user with this. Is, is that one of the things that really, you know, grabs you about doing this type of work that you're, 
you're connecting with a, a different type of person and instead of, um, you know, always dealing with, you know, celebrities or, you know, heads of you know, executives and things like that. Is it, it's is it more rewarding? Connection. Um, I don't know if you're connecting with a different type of person or you're connecting with people in a different part of their life. Right. Okay. Meaning I might, you know, when someone comes in to look at their images, that evening is a bit of an event. We talk, you get to know someone, it's relaxed, it's enjoyable. And it might very much be that same person, but either they're in a family sense. Most of the time, it's, you know, my wife and I showing her images in the evening to another couple. And that's very different than me showing up on location with my assistant and, you know, pounding through a bunch of images for Nanny Report, which, don't get me wrong, I still very much enjoy. I really love the diversity of it all. Right. Certainly. Well, while we're talking about that with presenting, you know, your work to the, um, you know, to the people that you're dealing with now, have you had to um, retool your studio and do different things to to appeal to that type of a client? And we actually did uh, some very significant work on the makeup level in the studio, um, just to make it look nicer and to make it safer. Sure. Because it's a different thing when you've got a family running around versus when you've got a professional art director and a professional model running around. It's just it, it's it's a different standard. They see different things. It's what what counts. You know how nice is the floor becomes an issue in the consumer market, and it doesn't matter in the family market, but it doesn't matter that much art directors until you're working at a certain level, but still everyone understands that a lot of this is functional. So what nice is, is different. It's the same way you can have someone who has a phenomenal, phenomenal, beautiful home, but you go to their office and it's still, you know, it's white walls and a, you know, a nice desk and it's, it's where they spend so much of their time, but it's not a really beautiful place. It just is nice. Right. Well, kind of along those same lines, have you had to adjust how you um, how you work with your subjects? Because, I mean, I, when I look at these photos, I, I definitely still see the, the Mark Robert Halper style to them. But do you find that um, you're trying to get more of a, you know, more emotion out of your subjects or trying to connect with them a little bit differently? I think I've changed. I mean, it's to an extent, yes, and it has a lot to do with the subject matter. And to an extent, um, if I don't get the shot, I lose the sale rather than I'm letting down someone else. And there's, it's, I'm, I find myself more relaxed doing a lot of this work. Well, that's gotta be, that's gotta be more satisfying that way too. Uh, it's kind of nice. It's, uh, the days that we do it can be a little bit grueling. Um, I might be making this sound like this is easy and you can just go do this. I, I, I wouldn't want to. What it has taken in terms of me relearning everything about business has been huge. 
because everything about what that I know about commercial photography, about the way I charge, about the way I sell, about the way I market, about the way I present things, about the way I think, my whole paradigm, I had to toss out the window and create something almost from scratch because what is absolutely the right way to do things in the commercial world, the ethical way, the way that benefits us and the clients and everyone involved is completely wrong in this world and vice versa. Mm. Uh, can I plug something? Sure. Those people who are in the portrait world kind of know a lot about this already. Uh, those people who are in the commercial world um, are probably not as aware, but know that if they went, they could find some of this stuff out and how to do it. But there aren't any workshops that really are for commercial photographers who already have this very strong technical skill set, who know how to take really good pictures because commercial photographers, I'll take some beating for this, but um, we tend to be better photographers. We tend to have learned a lot more technically and are held to a different kind of standard because we're shooting for professionals. And we can, and there's nothing that teaches us how to bring and adapt that school that skill set and how to build a business around that that I know of in terms of workshops. So I'm doing one in November. All right. Um, we are doing it. It's a four-day workshop. It's called uh, Saving Your Photographic Career or How I Learned to Stop Worrying and Reinvent My Business. Nice. And the Dr. Mm -hmm. Strangelove somehow <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> a perfect parallel here. It runs November 12 to 15, which is Thursday to Sunday. Uh, I'm only taking eight, nine people, I think. Still have some spaces. I am only taking two people per geographic region. So, you know, if there are, you know, if I've got two people from Scottsdale, that cuts out Scottsdale and Phoenix and Mesa and that whole area. Right. Because a lot of what I'm teaching is going to be really, really specific. And it's much easier to kind of put this together and be concrete about it. And there's so much more in the way of just great business practices than there is in the commercial world. And so much that's subtle that just really kind of drives the business. So for commercial photographers who are um, suffering, suffering the inevitable costs of the drop in need for photography, uh, there still is a lucrative option out there if you do it right. If you do it wrong, you're just going to kill yourself. And mm. you know, you can do what I did, which is spend 18 months uh, learning a lot and figuring out and adapting it. Or you can get, you know, the better part of my 18 months worth of learning in four days. That's excellent. So, Mark, you, you're you're in a position now where you have uh, two viable businesses that are they're kind of side by side. Then, right? Yes, and they they really are two businesses. Aside from the fact that they share photo equipment, right. <laughs> which they do, um, and they share me behind the camera, that's kind of all they share. Before we leave the uh, consumer side too much, you, you mentioned some of the changes that you made in your studio. Are most of the shots that you end up doing, are they in your studio, or do you do some location work in, your, in the family side as well? Um, tends to be either in my studio or in my home, which is proximate to my studio. 
So it's, I don't really go anywhere. Um, I, one of the things that I want to do is I want to separate myself as far as I possibly can from all the, um, soccer moms and dads who have cameras and are going out on location. Um, which I understand, but it's, uh, I, I want my images to look as different as possible and be about the way my images look, about my style, rather than trying to copy someone else. And I'm really, I think there's a little fear in doing all these. If someone's going to go to my website and say, well, let's look at Mark's work and figure out how I can make my work look like, look like Mark's work or, um, you know, anyone else's work because there, you know, there are so many very talented photographers. You know, Joyce Tennyson, God knows how many people have tried to imitate her. Um, you know, and the question is, well, how do you make those images so I can make one like that? To me, it's about making the images that are about the way you see and the way a particular photographer sees and building a business based on that and building a portfolio based on that because that's what will really thrive. As long as you're trying to imitate someone else, um, you're... Uh, not doomed to failure, but doomed to mediocrity. Okay. And that's a far worse place to be. It's almost like... Doomed to failure. Sure. It's almost like how they say you shouldn't start a business in an area that you're not you know, already passionate about. Would you say it's similar to that in, in the photography area? I think you should start a business in an area that you're very passionate about. I know that runs counter to... Uh, conventional wisdom, but I'm more passionate about, you know, except for my wife, um, about photography than anything else. And, but I also, uh, I understand the choices that I make. And for some people, you know, you, you do give up a lot, but if you're not really passionate about photography, I don't think you have a chance in this business. Not really. Um, so I think all, you know, all great photographers, I would hope are passionate about photography. And I think many successful studios are, although certainly not all of them. Um, there's a lot of bad work and great marketing out there. And a lot of what I learned is pretty valid. And I've just found ways of putting things and phrasing things so that we're honest and positive at the same time. Being that you have two businesses going on kind of simultaneously and, uh, as you mentioned, really, both of them share you and your equipment. How how do you really run both of them at the same time? Is that a challenge? As a full-time studio manager, I didn't have when I was just doing commercial work. All right. Has that made a big difference? Oh, yeah. She does a huge part of the work that's involved in this. I could never do all the work that we that it takes to run this and bring people in and manage the whole process. So she does a huge part of that. Um, my wife is a phenomenal retoucher and really does a great job of making everyone look wonderful. And without the additional support, this wouldn't be happening. Not in the way that it is. One of the previous times that we had talked, I don't remember if it was on the show or something that we had talked about off the show. Um, you were doing some work with uh, with video, and I believe that you were using the, the 5D Mark II with Nikon lenses and... The whole moving portraits thing, that's, that's a good topic. Um, I've thought a lot about that topic. 
and come to realize it's probably one of the worst things to happen to photography. <laughs> I can tell you why. And by the way, I don't think that it's not something we should do. I don't know that there's a lot of choice. <laughs> um, but basically, photographers have found that their 5D will capture beautiful video. Uh, videographers and filmmakers, and I use the word videographers to describe both just for convenience, have discovered that, wow, the red one, you can grab beautiful frames. <laughs> so both of us have somehow magically discovered, because there's a piece of equipment out there, and because the web tends to meld things, that, hey, I can also take images that are that move, or I can also take images that are still. Now, what we're going to see and are seeing as a result of this is more and more people um, be able to do both. Now, this is great for clients. This is phenomenal for clients because clients now, instead of hiring a video, you know, a video girl and a still guy, can go and Hire one person to do both. Right. Can you see where this goes? <laughs> we now only need one person to do both. They get to hire one professional instead of two. Now, because we're basically making one big pool instead of two smaller ones, uh, the nature of supply and demand is it pushes rates down. This wonderful, wonderful doorway is not really our friend. Uh, everyone is really excited about um, Vincent's um, reverie, which proves that a good commercial photographer can make a good music video and that being able to have short depth of field is really, really cool. Right. Um, and that the Canon is, you know, a pretty exceptional camera for this kind of thing. I don't, you know, I bought one. I agree. But... Uh, there are lots and lots of music video directors out there who um, are realizing, you know, that there aren't so many music videos. Uh, there seems to be less and less need for advertising commercials, and more and more of the content that we're watching is low-quality stuff made on YouTube for next to free. Right. It actually generates very little, if any, income, except for the people who are out there you know, providing it. YouTube makes the money, but no one makes money off of YouTube that I know of. Yeah, no, they certainly don't. I've, I've been, uh, I've actually been wrapped up in a podcast called Film Fellows, which is, um, it's actually more of like the videographer filmmaker crowd. And they, uh, they talk a lot about, um, yeah, their interest in the market. And I can see from their side of things, not necessarily trying to treat this as like a, a blend between the two, but uh, one of the things that they're very excited about is that they have some some pretty you know robust tools now at that are um yeah, at a much more affordable yeah, affordable market that you know these guys oh, that yeah. were maxing their credit cards out were just like you know out the that's window. That's great when you're making your own movie. I know if you want to make your own movie, wow, you could probably do something. Very high quality on a 5D that looks much more filmic than anything video has been able to offer you before. Um, the effect of robust tools has been to move 
the ability to do average quality professional photography from professionals who knew you know where to get the film processed and how to do a snip and how to expose and how to make sure you get it right to many people who can afford to go out and buy a thousand dollar camera package and do a lot of their own photography. Robust, inexpensive tools reward people who create art at home. And I mean, it's, it's hard to fault that. It really is. And say, wow, we shouldn't be able to do it. But cost is the need for it to be done professionally in many, many cases just goes away. Right. Now, I don't think that there will ever be robust enough tools um, to make an Irving pen. But how many people really need that? True. Um, I, you know, my, the moving portraits are fun. Uh, I get emails about them and inquiries, and you know where they come from? Other photographers. Right. <laughs> Not people who really want to hire me to do it. Right. Um, it's, uh, it's important. If I were in school right now and in a photography school, certainly one that lasts more than a year, it's absolutely essential. Um, You'll see more and more workshops. You'll see more and more of this running together. We will need to know more and more and more software. We'll have to do many, many more things. And uh, good enough is now good enough in many, many situations because good enough is so much less expensive than excellent. Right. And in terms of photography, um good Photoshop skills can really make up for just okay photography. I don't like that. It's not that it's wrong. It simply is. It's not that I, I want to pull Photoshop away from people who don't think they should be able to do it, but uh, the craft of photography, um, which isn't about whether it's captured digitally or with film, from my point of view, is somewhat going away is it becomes less necessary. And I think that there is a beauty in things that are organically created. Right. It isn't quite the same when it's done on the computer. Um, which, you know, in the same way that there's a beauty in, you know, having a suit or a coat personally tailored to you that isn't the same when you get a size 36 right. off the rack that is still kind of sized, but it's not the same. Sure. Right. Well, it's to me, it's most interesting to see that you've been able to find a way to to take the best of what it is about your your photography and continue to make a the, a good thing out of a tough environment. And I think this this episode is going to be an inspiration to a lot of people that are that are in that same situation. Well, I I, I want to add a caveat here that I think is really really extraordinarily important. For those people who are looking at doing this, it is so very important, whether you learn it from me or the many other places that are out there, that you come in, you learn the business, you build up a level of skill before you enter it, uh, for the same reason that I don't care how cheap my plumber is if my pipes leak. doesn't really matter how cheap your photography is if it's not competent yet. And to build up a solid level of competence to learn the good business practices that won't only make you a buck today, but will see you through towards a career 
that will allow you over time to purchase a house, if you have kids to send them to college, to provide for retirement, to do the things that professionals do and should do. And not to see yourself as a starving artist, which is another way of saying unsuccessful, but as an emerging creative professional who's going to do what they love for the rest of their life, have security that they're able to do that because they have provided well for themselves by having a business model that's really sound and that looks towards the long term rather than the short term. I could be bringing in in this economy more money than I am right now by um, doing the same work at less. But I am thinking about where my business is going to be um, when I turn 65, what it's going to look like then, which is over 20 years out. And um, thinking about how what I'm doing right now is going to affect my career and my reputation and the others around me who have kind of paved the way for this to be possible. And as you enter whatever field you enter, understand that if you take the time and you do things right, it will benefit you in the long run in huge ways. Excellent. Mark, I think a lot of what you are saying is going to really ring true with certain people. And without a doubt, as usual, I think there's going to be a lot of inspiration in what it is that you've, you've brought with us tonight. So appreciate your time. I love being here. Before I go, I've got three workshops that I'd like people to consider. One of the reasons I enjoy coming on here is I get to promote those, and it brings some phenomenal people into the workshops. Our online workshop that meets on Mondays, um, the Saving Your Photographic Career workshop about transitioning a commercial business into a consumer-based business, which doesn't have to be family portraits, uh, that is going to be November 12 to 15. and um, workshop that used to be called Photographing People for Publication that is now called The Professional Portrait because it's a little bit broader and isn't just about publication, but still basically the same class where we really talk a lot about the process of intent. It's about photography. That's October 23rd to 25th. That's kind of the workshop I'm best known for, and I think we have four spots in that as of this broadcast. Once it goes out, those spots I don't think are going to last too long. So thank you for the chance to, to share that with everybody. I've really enjoyed being here. Absolutely. Cool. Well, that's all we have for this episode of Light Source, the brightest podcast on the internet. Be sure to check out the show notes for this episode and all the other Light Source episodes at the website studiolighting.net. And you can also send us an email comment at studiolighting at gmail.com when you can send us comments, questions, or just images that you'd like us to see. And if you really want to get involved with some of the other listeners to the show, you can head over to the Light Source Flickr group at www.flickr.com slash groups slash light source. You can post your images and get feedback on your photography as well as seeing the things that we're taking pictures of. And as always, if you missed any of these links, our quick outro here, you can find all of that and more at www.studiolighting.net. Till next time. Bye-bye.
check out this show and more great photography podcasts at photocastnetwork.com. Photocastnetwork.com.